0: After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you see. Hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence and violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They're like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, we played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Let's pray together. Father, tonight as we worship you and we encounter your word and we hear your voice speaking to us, we admit that sometimes, and some of us, it just goes right over our heads. We don't realize until later on, wow, this is God who's speaking to us. We pray that now you would let the weightiness of your reality be impressed upon us. For those of us who have been in these last few minutes, Re- recognizing who you are and how great you are and magnificent and mighty and glorious you are, we come before you and we realize that you are much bigger than us. God, you are heavy. You are weighty. You are holy. You are big. And we come before you and we realize that we're small. We come before you and we realize that we've been wandering all over the place this week. We've been doing our own thing and and when we realize just how great and big you are, we, we wonder, why, why would I do anything else in my life than follow you exclusively? And yet we admit to you that so often we don't. We confess that to you, Lord. We pray that you would forgive us, and we thank you that you do. You tell us as far as the east is from the west, that's how far you remove our transgressions from us. Lord, you know words before they're on our lips, you know our hearts inside of us, and you know as well as we do that we are prone to wander away, and we pray that you would hold us close to you this week, even now as we hear from your word, that you would show us what it means for us, that we would be people who follow Jesus, that we, like it said in Matthew 10, pick up our cross daily and follow him, and that you would help us to see the world through his eyes and recognize the beauty and the glory that comes from representing him on this earth. For those of us who are in hard times this week, we pray that we would find comfort in knowing that we are looking like Jesus as we suffer. And for those of us who are experiencing greatness and fruitfulness in life this week, we pray that we would be encouraged to know that when great things happen in our lives, people see that you are great, we pray that we would be able to have a good perspective of you in good times and in bad. And when you're working mightily through us and when we feel like you are far from us, let us know in both of those cases that... You're glorified through us. And we're the salt of the earth. We can't help but be salty and preserve the place you've put us. We're the light of the world. We can't help but shine. We pray that you would give us the faith and the guts and the courage to let our light shine before men, that they may see our good works and glorify you on the day you visit us. Tonight we pray that we would see you in this text. That we would see your gospel in this text, that we would see the identity and the glory of your son Jesus in this text, that we would see the work of your spirit in this text, and, and that we'd also see ourselves in it. And we think of this generation Jesus talks about that is wicked and adulterous. We pray that we would not be that. But you would help us to have clean hearts and clean hands and lives that reflect you and an attitude that reflects you and is centered on your word and on how you've revealed yourself and your world to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what John the Baptist said when he first encountered Jesus with his disciples. John had spent his whole ministry life preparing for this day when he would take his disciples and hand them over to Jesus and say, hey, don't follow me, follow him. John said that, I baptize with water, but there is one coming after me who is greater than I. I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He will baptize with Holy Spirit and with fire. Follow him. When John saw Jesus, he sent his disciples to follow Jesus instead and said, he must increase, I must decrease. And John started to decrease. He decreased a lot. As Jesus started doing miracles and great things were happening in his ministry and he's teaching and preaching and power coming out of him and he's healing folks and raising the dead and making deaf people hear and lame people walk and blind people see, John the Baptist is fading out of the limelight and he gets arrested and thrown into prison for his faith. And John sits there in prison awaiting his execution and he gets to hear from his former disciples the things that Jesus is still doing on this earth, and John is starting to struggle with, if this is the kingdom of God, why does my life look like this? If Jesus is really the one to bring in the kingdom of God, why am I languishing here in this prison? Is this what the kingdom of God looks like? Some of us have experienced that. And we had seasons in our life where God was working in mighty ways through us, and then all of a sudden we find ourselves in this dungeon of life, and we feel like, God, is this it? Is this what you've called me to be in? Have you called me to be in a place where everyone has forsaken me? Have you called me to be in a place where people have turned against me? God, if, if this is the abundant life I thought I was stepping into, maybe I was wrong. Didn't you say uh, that you've come so that I might have life and have it to the fullest? It doesn't feel like the fullness of life. I thought when I gave my life to Jesus, things would get better, but they feel like they've gotten worse. I thought the chains that were binding me would be tossed off the moment I believed, but I feel like they keep entangling me over and over again. Is this really the kingdom of God? Did I miss the bus at some point? God, have you moved on without me? So John sits there in prison and his disciples are speaking with him. And he sends his disciples to go to Jesus and ask him an important question. Are you the one that we were waiting for, or is there somebody else coming? The disciples go to Jesus and they ask him that question. John wants to know, are you the one that we were supposed to wait for, or should we wait for someone else? Are you the one we were expecting? And Jesus replies to the disciples of John the Baptist, go back and tell this to John. Report what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus says, Go tell John if he's wondering, Am I the one to bring in the kingdom of God? Am I really the Messiah? Tell him, Yes. Look around. Yes. Imagine you were a school teacher and you had a class that was terrible, terrible, right? (laughs) Kids are throwing stuff at you and nobody likes you and you keep getting in trouble and all the parents of the kids are worse than the kids, right? They're in your ear all the time and try to have conferences, they don't show up, right? You feel like the whole school is falling apart and you're right in the middle of it trying to hold it all together and then you receive word that your school has hired a new principal, And you think, well, this is great because this place needs to be cleaned up and maybe this new principal can make some heads roll or something and change this place. And so you just start waiting for things to get better. You go back to your classroom in September and your next class seems worse than the one before it. And you say, you know what, this principal's been here for like a day. Let's give her time. Give her time, give her a quarter, and your classroom still stinks. You give it until Christmas break, and at the end of it, you're thinking, I don't feel like anything's changing. I feel alone here, and everyone hates me, and I hate this right now. And you you know, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Maybe this principal can turn things around. And by the end of the school year, nothing's gotten better, and your class has been hard, and you want to quit. And so finally, you, you get the guts to go to the principal's office and ask the question, I heard that you were coming in to change the school around. Um, Are you the person who's going to do that, or or should we get someone else? The principal can say a number of things at that moment, like you're fired, uh, for example. (laughs) She could say, you know what, you're right. I had big hopes for this school, and I've been working my hardest, and nothing's changing. She could say, listen, I've been doing the best that I can, but it takes time. you got to give me more time. And she could say, you know what? Hey, I I gave up a long time ago, and I've just been, you know, clocking in, clocking out for the last six months. The school is hopeless, right? She could say a lot of things, but imagine she said this. You say, hey, are you really the principal who's going to change this place, or should we wait for someone else? And she says, well, test scores are up. Our PTA is getting really big, and our parents are really involved. We've been doing these fundraisers. We're raising a lot of money to help the school, and our kids aren't dropping out anymore. And we've got a great relationship with the folks in our community. I mean, everything looks pretty good from my end. It, it's just your class that stinks. <laughs> How encouraging would that be? <laughs> That's kind of what John the Baptist hears. <laughs> He comes and says, Jesus, from my jail cell, it looks like the kingdom is not coming as was promised. And Jesus says, tell John what you see and what you hear. John, out here in freedom, things are pretty good. Dead people are raising from the dead, John. He let me tell you something I saw. The other day I was walking down the street and this guy couldn't walk and Jesus healed him. This guy was blind and Jesus gave him sight. Everything that we hear and everything we see shows us that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. It just stinks for you. (laughs) That's even worse. You know, if you've ever been in a season where you feel like God has forsaken you, chances are you haven't like decided God doesn't exist. Chances are what you do is you look around and you see everyone has a great relationship with God except for me, right? All my friends, it seems like they're like going well with Jesus. All of my friends have circumstances where it's up and to the right. Everyone I meet says that God is doing miraculous things in their lives, and then there's me. I'm stuck in this prison cell and I'm suffering and it's dark and out there I hear that great things are happening. But for me, life with Jesus is dead. In those moments, we start blaming ourselves. Maybe the problem's not with God. Maybe it's me. God, is there some kind of sin in my life that I have not confessed? Are you mad at me for something you haven't told me? God, did you call me to do something? Like, was I supposed to go on a mission trip or something? And I missed the bus and now it's gone and it's in Africa or it's in Cuba and I'm still here. And so your will is halfway across the earth, God. Is that what's happened? Because everyone I know loves you and sees you working. But from where I sit, all I see are bars and darkness and the food's not too good here in prison. You kind of feel in this passage, the crowd start to turn their gaze towards John the Baptist. Like, hey, what's wrong with that guy? Yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. We thought John was the man. Maybe John's not the man after all. And Jesus quickly quells that and says, hold on, let me, let me tell you about John the Baptist. You guys all went and followed John the Baptist. Remember, he was out in the desert and he was preaching and baptizing. And you all went out in droves to see him. Let me ask you this, Jesus said. What did you go out in the desert to see? Did you just stroll out in the desert hoping to see some reeds swaying in the wind? No, you went out for a reason. Who did you go out to see? Some king dressed in nice clothes? No, who did you go out to see in the desert when you went to see John the Baptist? A prophet? Yeah. John the Baptist is more than a prophet. He says, I tell you the truth, there has been no one greater born of woman than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the man. He was Elijah that Malachi prophesied would come before the Messiah. He is right in the dead center of the will of God. John the Baptist is not the problem. The kingdom of God is coming. You see it. John's in prison languishing. It's not his fault. How do you explain that? Right? If you haven't sinned, if you are living an upright life with the Lord and you feel like everyone else's spiritual life is great and yours stinks, what's the problem? If God's not the problem and you're not the problem, what's the problem? Jesus says that the problem is that when the kingdom of God comes, it comes with violence. He says, ever since John the Baptist came, violent men have been coming and plundering from the kingdom of God. When God wants to do a good work in this world, violent men have come and seized the messengers of God. That's what happens when good things happen, is bad things happen simultaneously. That's what happens. And Jesus tells a parable at a different time where he says, imagine there was this vineyard and a landowner owned it and he set people in to run it and they kept doing a bad job. So the the, the landowner says, you know what, I'm going to send a messenger to come and tell them that they need to clean up their act. So the messenger comes to the vineyard, and and the people see the messenger. The messenger gives the message, and the people kill him. And so the landowner's like, what, they killed my messenger? So he sends another messenger, and they kill him. And then he sends another messenger, and they kill him. And finally, the landowner says, you know what, if they're not going to listen to any of my messengers, I'll send my own son. Surely they'll listen to him. And so the landowner sends his own son, and the people who are managing the vineyard see the son coming and say, Well, this is the son of the landowner. If we kill him, this vineyard will be ours forever. And so they kill the son of the landowner. He says, you know what's going to happen? Landowner's going to come and kill all these people and bulldoze the vineyard. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Jesus says what happens is whenever God wants to bring good into the world, people kill the good people. God sends prophets, they kill them. God sends prophets, they hate them. God says prophets, they don't listen to him. John says John the Baptist, he gets thrown into prison. Jesus walks on the earth and they kill him. When God is doing great things in this world, violent people destroy the work of God. It's not a problem with God. It's not a problem with the people of God. The problem is that sometimes our expectations don't match up with Reality. That When you're sitting in your room feeling sorry that everyone's life is great but yours, you feel like God has forsaken you. The problem is that you expect that the Christian life was supposed to be up and to the right all the time. And God says, trust me, that's not how it's going to work. So, what we talked about last week. If you want a sad time, listen to the podcast from last week that the Christian life comes with suffering and hardship and hatred. People will hate you just because you follow Jesus. You'll experience some amazing things. The dead are raised, the blind see, the deaf hear, the lepers are cleansed, the poor have good news preached to them. Amazing things will happen, but you'll be hated, you'll be thrown in prison, (laughs) no one will like you. At the same time, Jesus turns from this conversation about John the Baptist and he looks at the crowd and he says, how do I explain to you what you're like? Which if, if anyone ever says that to you, you're in for a hard conversation. How, how do I explain to you what you're like? He says, this is what you're like. You're like little kids who, who are sitting in the marketplace bored while their parents are shopping. And you're sitting there and you pull out your flute and you start playing a happy song on the flute. And then you look around and all the other kids that are walking around aren't dancing. And you start yelling at them, why aren't you dancing? I'm playing the flute. And then you change gears. You start playing a really sad song on the flute, pretend like it's a funeral procession. And then you look around, and everyone's just walking around. They're not, like, mourning. And you go, what's wrong with you people? Don't you hear my song? Why aren't you mourning? He says, this is what this generation is like. You you think that somehow you can look out at the world and think the way things are supposed to happen is just going to magically happen. You can just decide for yourself, if I follow Jesus, things will be great, and they're going to be great. But let me tell you something. You can play the flute all you want. No one has to dance. Right, you can sit in your room all day long and think, why am I suffering? The Christian life isn't supposed to have suffering in it. But the truth is, it does. Your perception of reality doesn't dictate reality. Sometimes you've just made up a game and you're hoping the world plays along, he says. But the problem is you're cynical, Jesus says. Because John the Baptist comes and he was an amazing man of God. He gave up everything for the kingdom. He lived in the desert alone. He didn't buy clothes. He like made it out of camel's hair. He didn't eat food. He like ate honey. He picked out of bees, hives, and bugs from the ground. He didn't drink wine. He didn't partake in anything this world has to offer. He was like this mountain man. And he shows up and you look at a man who has forsaken everything for the kingdom. And you say, this guy's crazy. He's demon-possessed. Jesus says, then I come along, and I'm nothing like that, right? I wear normal clothes, I drink wine, I eat food, I hang out with lost people, and instead of saying, oh, now this is a servant of God, you look at me and you say, this man is a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. There's no pleasing you people. When a man of God comes who's forsaken all things, you say he's got the wrong, that he's doing the wrong thing. Then a man comes who engages with those things, you say he's doing the right thing. There's no way for a godly person to win with you, Jesus says. You want to control the world like the little armchair flute, God. And, but you don't. Isn't it a good thing that this generation is nothing like that generation? <laughs> we're not cynical. We don't want the world to go the way that we want it to go. We just go to the Bible and say, God, what can I expect out of life? Let's read it in here, right? If you live in Castro Valley or one of the surrounding areas, you've noticed that water rates are going up, if you notice that. When East Bay Mud raises the rates, we kind of get angry about that. I say, are you serious? Like, we're in this drought. We're doing all that we can. Like, I'm watering my lawn with the water that comes out of my sink before i take a shower or whatever i'm doing everything i can and you raise the rates on me are you serious if east bay mud lower the rates you know what we'd say we would say are you are you serious you're lowering the rates right now like we are in a drought and it's just going to encourage people to waste water are you serious east bay mud you know what we'd do if east bay mud didn't do anything with the rates Are you serious right now? We're in the worst drought we've ever had, and you've done nothing? Why don't you do something, right? Nothing makes us happy. We like drama. We're cynical. Jesus says, the problem is you do that in the spiritual realm as well. You see God doing an amazing work in someone's life. Like, oh, that's not real. You see someone who's suffering, like, oh, geez, come on. No matter what, right? Things go well, like, oh, it's probably this. Things go bad, like, oh, it's probably this. We roll our eyes all the time at everything God is doing. And Jesus says, that's, that's poison. You've got this perception of how life is going to work. And it's not, even, it's not only that it's not real, it's not even plausible. It's not only that you've made up the way that you view the world and you just hope it all works according to your will. It's worse than that. No matter what happens, you're going to hate it. You know, we're thinking, like, if the water rates got lowered, I wouldn't hate it. Right? If my life was good and not bad, I wouldn't hate it. I think a lot of times we hate everything. And Jesus says, the thing that's wrong when you're struggling, when you're suffering, there's nothing wrong with God. And a lot of times there's nothing wrong with you. The problem is your expectations are bad. And Jesus says, I am exactly who the Bible said that I was going to be. But look at the things that are happening. That's what the scriptures have foretold would happen when the Messiah comes says, John the Baptist is exactly who the Bible said he was going to be. He's in the spirit and power of Elijah. He came proclaiming the way of the Lord. He's exactly what the Bible said he was going to be. And when you suffer, that's exactly what the Bible said was going to happen. And so, why are you so surprised? The problem is that we have a way that we view the world, and we want the world to go the way that we want, like we play the flute and God has to dance. And God, I want to be happy. God, why aren't you making me happy? God, I want more money. Aren't you hearing me? I'm doing the prayer dance. Give me more money, God. Don't you want me to be successful, God? Think of all the great things I could do for you if I was rich, God. Just do what I'm telling you, God, and trust me, things will be great. And so Jesus says the problem is you can play the flute all you want. You can't make God dance. God is the one in charge. And if you want to know how the Christian life is supposed to look, don't make one up. Look in here. (laughs) Read Matthew 10. It's a struggle, right? There will be great things. The deaf will hear, the blind will see, the dead will be raised, the poor will hear the gospel and sometimes you'll be thrown in prison. <laughs> sometimes the Christian life is great and sometimes it's really, really hard. If you don't understand that, you're going to be very, very sad when it does get hard and feel like God has forsaken you and feel like God has left you, God has done something wrong and Jesus says, this is what I said would happen and this is what happened to me. And didn't he say in Matthew 10, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. That's a graphic image. I I am going to the kingdom of God and on the way, I'm going to stop at the crucifixion. I'm going to be buried in the tomb and then I'm going to wake up and then initiate the kingdom of God. So if you want to follow me, strap on your cross and let's go. We're going to walk up this road towards Golgotha and everyone's going to heckle you and throw things at you and there's pain and there's going to be glimpses of beauty in it, but it'll be hard you might suffer, you might die, you might be killed for your faith, but if you are, you will raise again into resurrection. If you're going to follow me, the road I walked was a very hard road, but it's the only road that leads to life. There's life on the other side of death. The kingdom is on the other side of suffering. And there will be seasons that God uses you to alleviate suffering in this world and bring the kingdom, and there will be times that God uses you as you go through suffering. We read through the apostles like Paul or Peter, and they they use all these phrases about suffering that make no sense to us. Anyone who's been baptized into Christ Jesus has been baptized into his death. We've been baptized into his death so that the life of Jesus can also reign in our bodies. Right, when you see someone get baptized in here, we don't just have them come out and say, hey, this person's a Christian now. Right, we drown them in front of you, then we pull them out of the water <laughs> and say, this person's following Jesus, so they're going to die and rise. And that's what the Christian life looks like sometimes. Sometimes you're walking in suffering. We rejoice that we participate in the sufferings of, of Christ. That if we're supposed to walk around this world and look like Jesus, a lot of times we're going to be suffering. Jesus was the suffering servant. You know, we wish we looked like Jesus, that we could do miracles. Right? But, and sometimes God's going to use us to do miraculous things. Other times, as we do those miraculous things, we're going to suffer, and we will look like Jesus as we suffer. You remember that verse in 1 Peter? It says, always be prepared to give an answer to, a- to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. We always read that. and We think, oh, that means I need to study the Bible, so when people ask me why I'm a Christian, I can defend my faith. That's not what Peter's talking about. Peter says that when you live in this world, you are going to suffer greatly, so much that when people see you suffering and you're still smiling, they're going to come up to you and say, how do you still have hope? And Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do it with gentleness, respect, and keeping a clear conscience so those who malign the gospel will be ashamed of their evil behavior Because they're hurling insults at you and it's not killing you. You just keep loving them and serving them and suffering like Jesus did. I want to end tonight by reading a passage from that book, 1 Peter 4. You could turn there if you have your Bibles open there. 1 Peter 4. For those of you who are suffering, Peter gives you a perception and some action that you can take as you suffer. Oh, man, I want to read the whole chapter now. All right, I'm going to read the whole chapter. I was going to start at verse 12, but then sh- verse one is so cool. All of this that we've talked about tonight gets summed up in 1 Peter chapter 4. There's going to be some things that you hear in this chapter that you're going to think, what does that mean? Spend some time this week and read it again and figure out what it means. First Peter four. Oh man, I want to read chapter three. I won't. Read all of First Peter this week. Jeez, first Peter. All right. First Peter four. Sorry. <laughs> Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised you don't jump in with them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they'll have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel is preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard to the Spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober minds so that you can pray. Above all, love one another deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without crumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do it as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what would the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful Creator and continue to do good. Let's pray.